The Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. This verse ought to be one of the first verses our children memorize. It ought to be a verse that we refer to often in our hearts. And when we come together to consider the Word of God as to our purpose in this world. The Lord hath made all things for Himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. There are answered in this verse four of the greatest questions that men and philosophers have ever dealt with. Where did everything come from? Why does it exist? Is there a God that created? And who is He? And how does evil exist? Or why does evil exist in the world? All answered in one verse. The Lord Jehovah is the God who created the heavens and the earth and all things in them. All things have come from Him. And all things exist for Him. Even wicked men for the day of evil. The wise man, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, added that second clause, yea, even, showing the most extreme example of creation that a man could possibly raise to try to overthrow the first half of the verse. When the first half of the verse says, the Lord hath made all things for Himself, natural man would say, well, if that's true, then what about evil? And so the Lord answered that in the verse, knowing that objection would be raised. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Even wicked men, and we have had an example of such an event this past week in our own nation. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Praise the Lord of heaven that we have answers to questions that are unanswerable to most men. But we have them here in the Bible. And let us worship that Lord this morning. If the Lord has made all things for Himself, then let's give ourselves to Him this day. By our singing, praying, our fellowship, and all that we do, let's give ourselves to Him. The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we through comfort and patience of the Scriptures might have hope. Let's remind ourselves of what it says in Daniel chapter 4 by turning there. Daniel chapter 4 is the personal testimony of the greatest king in the history of the world, King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire. He made a proclamation and sent it to all languages and nations over which he ruled to show them the great things that God had done toward him. Daniel did not write Daniel chapter 4. That is the most certain thing you can know about the pages of your Bible. Nebuchadnezzar wrote Daniel chapter 4 in the first person about what God had done to him. And it's one of the glorious testimonies of any political entity in the history of the world of what God did to this king who thought himself so great. And God had made him great. God said that he was a tree that filled the whole earth and all the beasts of the field could find shade under it and all the birds of the air could find a place in its branches to make their nests. He had a world empire. And God put him out to pasture for seven years so that he ate grass like oxen, his nails were grown out like birds' claws, and his hairs like eagles' feathers. God humbled him. And then he lifted up his eyes at the end of those days and he blessed and praised the God of heaven. And here are some of the precious words of the Bible. 
Daniel chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 34 through 37. Children, this is history. Who cares who discovered America? Who do you want to say did it? Columbus, I've got five options for you that say he was way too late. Leif Erikson, too late. We spend so much time memorizing facts that will not serve you. I'm telling you a fact that will serve you. This was the greatest king the world ever saw. He had more money, more power, a bigger city. Go read about the city of Babylon. 25 miles on a side. Straddling the Euphrates River. The hanging gardens of Babylon were considered one of the wonders of the world. He could have withstood a siege forever. They would have eaten from their gardens and were supplied by water from a river. But God overthrew it in one night. Why? Because He said in Isaiah chapter 44 and 45, I'm going to dry up that river. And the engineers of Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian channeled that water into the desert and they marched their army through because they had left the gates open just like God had said He would do. In Isaiah 44 and 45, they took the city that night easily. While Belshazzar was sitting in there mocking the God of Israel with the golden vessels that he had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem. But let's read what Nebuchadnezzar had to say. After seven years at graduate school, he went to seminary and he was taught theology that there's a God in heaven. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand, or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, all whose works are truth and His ways judgment. And those that walk in pride, He is able to abase. Signed, Nebuchadnezzar, King of the Chaldean and Babylonian Empire. Praise the Lord. This is the God we worship today. This is why we got up this morning, rolled out of bed, hit the deck, got dressed, got in our cars and came here. There's a God in heaven. I'm sorry for those of you that have heard about another God that isn't like this one. And it's a shame that He's preached in our pulpits in this country. But there's a God in heaven and we can read about Him in the Bible. And this great king humbled himself before that God and praised and extolled and honored Him. And I hope that you want to do that with your heart. I hope that you're filled with energy right now and zeal to lift up your voice, your heart, and praise this God and to worship Him. 
I hope that in the singing we've already done, you did that. I hope in the passages that were read, that your heart was lifted up by those passages. That you rejoiced in them. As God dared Job to try what he could do. As God bragged to Job about the ostrich and the horse. As God showed Abraham how easily he could provide a dating service. Except there was no dates involved. As soon as Isaac and Rebekah met each other, they went into Sarah's tent and they were married, brethren. And then Jeremiah 33. If you didn't understand what was being said there, let me help you understand what is being said there. Your eternal life depends on what is said in Jeremiah 33. There were two families chosen out of Israel for important roles. The family of David and the family of Levi. Kings and priests. And do you know what you are today? You are a king and a priest of this God. And he said to Jeremiah, when things looked awfully bleak, they were captives in that city of Babylon. When they were captives in the city of Babylon, God comforted Jeremiah and the people of Israel who still had faith by saying, If you can overthrow my covenant with the day, If you can overthrow my covenant with the night. If you can overthrow the ordinances of heaven. The movement of the stars and the planets. Then you can undo my covenant with David and with Levi. That there will be, that there will not be kings and priests serving me forever. Brethren, you can't overthrow the day. It's here. You want to shut it down? I know that most of you don't want tomorrow to appear. Well, I mean, you know how I mean that. But you can't stop Monday morning. Monday morning's coming, and Sunday night's coming, and you can't stop God's covenant with them. And just as you can't stop God's covenant with the day and the night, you cannot stop His covenant that He has a king, He has a nation of kings and priests Amen. to serve Him forever. A little bit of shade's going to come into our lives as we pass out of this world into the next one. But there's still going to be day and night after you're gone. Do you know why? Because He's trying to comfort you. You will never be lost. He'll keep you. That's what He wanted Jeremiah to tell those people. Brethren, I hope you read Job chapters 1 and 2 last evening. In Job chapters 1 and 2, did you see that the God of heaven does according to His will in the army of heaven? Did the army of heaven have to come And say, Lord, here we are. And did the king of heaven say, where have you been and what have you been up to? And did they have to answer him? He does according to his will in the army of heaven, doesn't he? It said in Job 1 and 2 that the sons of God present themselves to the Lord. Those are the angels. They present themselves to the Lord and Satan was among them. And the Lord said, Satan, where have you been and what have you been doing? I've been going to and fro in the earth. He had to answer because the God of heaven was addressing him. Does he do according to his will among the inhabitants of the earth? Where did the Sabians come from? Where did the Chaldeans come from? They came under the direction of the Lord of heaven. At that time, in that way, with those acts of violence on their mind, they came against Job under the direction of God. You say, but it was Satan. Oh, no, it wasn't. Satan is nothing and can do nothing except what God has purposed him to do. 
Because if you'll read Job chapter 2, and I believe it's, I believe it's verse 10, it will say, God said to Job, God said to Satan, you have moved me against him without cause. It was God that did those things. Satan's nothing but a puppet in the hands of God. He's nothing but a tool. Did you read those chapters? There are, there are women who have lost children by miscarriage, stillbirth, or death in infancy. There is no place for you to get angry with the God of heaven. There is no place for you to be bitter. There's every reason for you to worship the God of heaven. Job had seven sons and three daughters taken away from him, but he didn't get angry, nor did he get bitter. He worshipped. He worshipped. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you ever have a child that's conceived in your womb, women, sisters, God gave you something that you did not bring into this world. He gave you something and it's His right to take it away. There is no place for us to bark against God. There's no place for us to be bitter. There's no place for us to be grieved, thinking that God is not dealing fairly, nor righteously, nor kindly with us. He is God. Look what He did to Job. And look what He admits about what He was doing. You have moved me against Job without a cause. There is nothing in Job deserving this. I am doing this to prove something to you. He said that to the devil. He lost all of his children. He lost all of his assets. If you have a business setback, if you lose a job, that is nothing compared to what Job lost financially. He worshipped. He fell down the ground that he worshipped. Can we be as good as Job and fall down and worship this great God who has a right to do with us as he pleases? He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May we say that with Job. We introduced this subject last Lord's Day. On Monday morning, a crazed gunman killed 32 people and then himself. You know, the nation wonders. The nation's confused. The nation's grieved. The nation thinks that God has forsaken them. They wonder, how can evil like this happen? God sent him. Amen. God sent him. There's no reason to modify that language at all. God sent him. God has hardened the hearts of men and sent them as murderous on murderous rampages throughout history. It doesn't matter whether it was Jo Sung Wee or Herod the Great who killed all the babies of Judea around Bethlehem in the days of Jesus of Nazareth. God sent them. And this nation deserves a whole lot worse than that. It was a very gentle FM station wake-up call for this nation. But this nation, by every appearance, is not going to wake up. So so the wake-up calls that are coming in the future are going to be worse. And we've had some that are worse over the past few years. Our president tried to comfort the victims' families by saying that the nation was praying to a loving God for them. 
You know, I can't blame so many for being atheists when they're standing there looking at 32 coffins and being told about a loving God. If he would have preached the truth about a sovereign God that hates sin, they might believe that there is such a being as they look at 32 dead corpses. We worship a totally different God than he understands. The God of heaven is not that big, drunk grandpa on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. The God of heaven is not a sugar daddy in the sky that hands out cotton candy to everyone. There wasn't a word said about sin. Did our president say a word about sin? If it would have been one of our leaders in the first 150 or 200 years of our country, there would have been mention of sin. There would have been mention of national confession and national repentance. That is a wicked campus like the other campuses of our state institutions across this country, and they got what they deserved. I know that even thinking that and saying that is high heresy, sedition, and almost treason in our country. It's hard to get the words out, but it's not very hard. Because it's the truth of God's Word. They've created little violent monsters with their music, their movies, their literature, their video games, and then they wonder why there's murder once in a while. They should be asking, why isn't it happening every hour? Because it should be happening every hour, but we know why it doesn't happen every hour. Because God said in Psalm 76 and verse 10, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. And He restrains it. Oh, He restrains it. Let's consider the dominion of God today and go further in this wonderful subject. I like to use the words, the dominion of God, because Nebuchadnezzar used it. His dominion is from generation to generation. His dominion is everlasting. Now, dominion, you should be able to get the idea of a dominion. It's someone who's able and does dominate. And God dominates His creation. He dominates the universe. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the world. The word sovereignty doesn't appear in the Bible. It's a fine word. I like the word the sovereignty of God. And there's five more copies for you, free of charge, if you want to read The Sovereignty of God by Arthur Pink. But we'll use the word dominion from time to time to remind you of the Bible word. I've always liked dominion and domination in athletic contests. When I watch sports, I don't like close games. They make me too nervous. I want my team blowing away the other team. Some of you think that's boring. No, run up the score. Run it up. Because the Lord runs it up, and I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Michigan versus Ohio State was too hard for me to bear in my youth. It was Michigan versus Navy that I enjoyed. Are they going to score a 100 this week? That's what I wanted to see. Dominion. I didn't mean anyone to, I didn't mean anything about anyone that served the Navy. I shouldn't have said that. I should have said Northwestern. Poor Northwestern, but that was in the old days. Now it's too close. No more fun. You know, you look in the Bible, and for a young man that wants some, a champion, there's a God of heaven Amen. that humbled Nebuchadnezzar. How can, how can you read Daniel 4 and not get excited? about the great God we serve. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, and realize that was going in every language of the known earth at that time. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
extol and honor and praise the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment. And those that walk in pride he is able to abase. And do you think that the readers had picked up by then who he meant by those that walk in pride he is able to abase? Himself. Because this doctrine will humble you. If we will consider the dominion of God over the universe, it will humble us. It will teach us contentment. It will teach us thanksgiving. It will take away anger and bitterness about negative things in your life. It will teach you dependence on the infinite protector and provider that you could ever meet. It will give you a proper philosophy for analyzing the events of the world. It will give you a proper doctrine for salvation. It will teach you godly fear so that you can fight sin more successfully in your life. Stand in awe and sin not. Psalm 4.4 Stand in awe. So we want to consider God in all His awesome glory. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Let's look at it. I know you can you could sing it to me right now without even looking. But I want you to see it on the printed page. Let's look at God's dominion includes His creation. We've already had read to us this morning Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 4 that says, The Lord hath made all things for Himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Let's get a second witness on that fact. Revelation 4, 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. The God of the Bible deserves all the glory, honor, and praise and blessing we can give Him. Because He has created all things. He is the Creator. We are the creature. He is the potter. We are the clay. We should bless and praise Him with all that we've got. And He created us for His pleasure. We should wake up every morning and say, what am I going to do today to the pleasure of God? What am I going to do actively to God's pleasure? He's going to get pleasure out of you whether you get up and say that in the morning or not. He will get pleasure out of your life. He'll get pleasure out of you if He has to grind you under His feet. But let's give it to Him actively. And I'll tell you something I've learned in 50 years. The happiest moments of life are giving Him pleasure by praising Him, rejoicing in Him, delighting in Him, and speaking of Him. Aren't there others that can agree with me on that? The most wonderful times in your life are when you are sold out, your heart is filled, and your mouth is giving release to it of praise to the God of heaven for how great He is. Doesn't it satisfy your soul? Because you're fulfilling your destiny. The pleasure of God throughout creation. God does what He pleases. And He created according to His own pleasure. Look at Psalm 135. We could turn to so many verses. I'm going to leave most of them for you to turn to. You can get this book up here and use it. Or you can look at the sermon outline on on a website. Our website. We'll just look at a few. God creates whatever pleased Him. He did it according to His will and for His pleasure. Psalm 135 and verse 6, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did He in heaven, and in earth, in the seas, and all dry places. If you find a desert and you wonder why is this nation, all this particular nation, all sand, it pleased the Lord to make that nation all sand. Ever seen one like that? Make a nation all sand. 
Then you see a nation that's just got fertile soil. Deep. You know, you see a state like Iowa. Deep, rich soil. God made it that way. Whatever He pleased, that's what He did in heaven, in earth, and in the sea. When you go to the zoo, and we'll get to the zoo in a minute, and I mentioned it last Sunday, the zoo is a great place of worship. The zoo is a house of worship. Because you... Didn't we just read the Bible, Job chapter 40? Have you seen the ostrich? Did you, did you, like, the, did you like the feathers of the peacock, Job? Hey, Job, do, do your Crayolas, do your Crayolas make as pretty of a picture as the tail of a peacock, Job? What do you think about my ostrich? That three-foot neck and a two-inch head. It's got a baseball on a rope. What do you think? I didn't give it any wisdom. The stupid creature lays its eggs and forgets all about them. Stomps around, crushes them. She's hardened against her young. Because I've hardened her heart. I've deprived her of wisdom. The zoo is a wonderful place to go because look what it says. It says, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did He in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and all deep places. When you go to an aquarium, haven't we had some good times in an aquarium? We just stand there in awe at the color of what God made. It pleased God that there are little tiny blue fish. You know, blue, bright blue, fluorescent blue. If you couldn't, you think that there must be wires trailing from them. But no, God doesn't need wires. They're beautiful. Do you know why they're blue? Because it pleased God in the seas to have little blue fish. And I'm thankful that we live in a time where we can go to an aquarium and walk right up next to them and have a two-inch piece of glass between us and them and look at it and say, Lord, You are glorious in all Your works. How about a jellyfish? What is a jellyfish? Is it jelly? Is it a fish? What is a jellyfish? Praise the God of heaven. I don't need to know. All I need to know is He made it. And He made it in such a way as they could make themselves again and again. So they got here all the way from Genesis chapter 1. So that I can look at them. Do you praise the God of heaven for His creation? He dominates His creation. He makes some creatures smart and He makes some creatures stupid. The Bible tells me in John chapter 9 that Jesus and His apostles came upon a man who was blind from His birth. The disciples were curious about a man born blind. Lord, such a terrible thing must have involved some sin somewhere. Was it this man's sin or was it his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind? Are you listening very... Do we need to turn? I hope you all know this story. Are you listening very carefully to the reasoning of the natural man? Was this man born blind because he sinned or his parents sinned? Neither he nor his parents have sinned to cause him this blindness. His blindness is for the glory of God. Do you believe that this morning? God creates whatever He wishes. And if you, we we should be thankful for every child we have. And we should be thankful for every child we don't have. You don't know what God was doing with that child. We trust Him totally. This doctrine will give you more peace. You can go through life and you'll never be shaken if you get your hands and your heart and your soul around this doctrine. Nothing can move you. 
Was David reminding us last night, one night he had to stand beside the mailbox waiting for the ambulance to arrive because Jonathan wouldn't breathe? Were you a little worried? Not unrighteously. We believe this, don't we? He just wanted to remind us to see if we really did. We're glad you're here, son. And the way you ate last night, you weren't blue for long. <laughs> Praise the God of heaven. Yes. Jonathan wouldn't breathe. You know how far it had to go for us to call an ambulance when we're having a birth at home. He didn't want to breathe. But we got our eyes about four inches apart and reminded each other that there's a God in heaven and we'd made a commitment a long time ago that God can do whatever He wishes with our children. Right. And we're no heroes. We just barely survived because God helped us survive. You know, and as soon as you say to each other, the Lord's in charge, and if the Lord wants this child, He can take it right now. Wah! Wah! You know, there's Jonathan crying. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is that an amen in baby language? Beautiful. Beautiful timing. Amen. Are you all set? Are all you women set? Do you believe all that? Can you rejoice and give God the glory? Can you worship? Can you thank Him? Can you bless Him? Can you praise Him? God does whatever pleased Him in heaven, the earth, the sea. Even with a blind man born blind for the glory of God. Is it worth it for a man to suffer through life? Not being able to go to school? Having to try to learn Braille? Couldn't ride a bicycle? Except into things? Is it, is it right for a man to suffer through all that? For the Lord Jesus Christ to be glorified because He healed him from blindness? Amen, amen and amen. amen. And if He didn't heal him from blindness, and He took him to heaven, where He could see the riches of eternal glory forever, Jesus Christ is still righteous. Right. And if He didn't take him to heaven, right. Jesus Christ is still righteous. Amen. We love the God of heaven. And we trust everything that He said about His creation. He didn't ask any creature, including you, if you even wanted to be created. I've said it before. I will remind you of it. I would think that if I have anything close to a free will, like they want to tell me that I have, that he would have asked me, do you want to exist? There's a lot of people on earth that given the pain they've been through in life, they would have told the Lord, I don't want to exist. He didn't ask. He didn't ask any creature, do you want to be an ostrich or do you want to be a horse? Do you want your neck clothed with thunder or do you want a long neck with a little head on top? He didn't ask. He just created. He didn't ask us. You know why the earth exists and why the whole creation's in place? It's for the glory and pleasure of God. Your primary goal should be to fulfill His purpose every day of your life by glorifying Him. What can I do today to glorify Him? Can I glorify Him by my honesty on the job? My financial honesty if you deal in money. Can I glorify Him by my pleasantness if I'm a salesman? My pleasantness, my graciousness, my kindness. Can I glorify Him? Can I glorify Him by singing? Can I glorify Him by reading the precious Word that He gave me? Can I glorify Him by forgiving a brother who's offended me? Can I glorify Him? How can I glorify Him today? Let me glorify Him today. He's worthy of glory. He created me for His glory. Look at Psalm 145. Psalm 145, I am not in the least trying to be funny 
when I say that the zoo is a place of worship. Right. Not, not in the least. Look at what it says in Psalm 145 and verse 4. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. Psalm 145, verses 4 and 5. One generation to the next are going to speak of the glorious works of God and show the great things that He has done to encourage that coming generation that there's a God in heaven who did as He pleased in heaven, the earth, and the seas. And that's what you ought to accomplish from a visit to the zoo or a visit to an aquarium. It's to glorify God for what He's done. Because this is what the Bible says we should do from one generation to the next. God's dominion includes matter, inanimate matter, no life in it, and the laws of nature. He rules the seeds, the clouds, snow, and the elements. Since you're close by, look at 148. Psalm 148. There's a beautiful Japanese maple in our front yard, but it's not very beautiful right now. Its little leaves are just pitiful looking. They're just, they're just hanging there. They're limp. They're pitiful. You know why? Because the God of heaven let out his breath and it was a hoary frost that landed on it a little while ago and those leaves had already come out and we're just waiting for that sun to revive them. But the Lord made that choice. Man can't stop it. Man would have liked to have stopped it. Psalm 148, verse 8, look what it says. Fire and hail, snow and vapors, stormy wind, fulfilling His Word. He said, go forth. And it came forth. And it wilted a number of things in our part of the country. Look at Psalm 148. It just goes on and on about God's creation and His sovereign power over so many different things. We could, we could turn to passages and we'd be on this subject for months if we turned to half of them. There's so many about His direction of the clouds, His sending of the rain, and so forth. He brought forth light by His commandment. Let there be light. And there was light. Amen. Do we believe in a big, big bang theory? Yes, we do. God spoke, and there was a big bang, and there was light. If there's any bang at all, there was light. You know, light occurred on the first day, and we got the sun on the fourth day. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. They can talk about light years all they want. The light got here before the source. That's my God. Is it your God? Do you love Him? Do you love Him? He made the stars also. P.S. He made the stars also. God created the famine that occurred in Egypt during Joseph's reign. He created seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine. He didn't ask anyone. He just told Pharaoh. Joseph said God's about to tell you what he's going to do. And it's a good message because he's got a solution for you. And I'm here. Joseph didn't say that because he was humble, but we know that. That Joseph saved Egypt. He can defy gravity and cause an axe head to swim. I mentioned that last Lord's Day. Listen, the Bible's full of good, good stories. Second Kings chapter 6, the sons of the prophets were chopping down a tree near a body of water. The axe head came off, and it was a borrowed axe head. The son of the prophet was distraught. What was he going to do? 
There wasn't an Ace Hardware on his way home. But an axe head went in the water. Elisha came and threw a stick in. The axe head started doing the breaststroke. Came up to the surface and swam over and he was able to reach in and pick it up. That's my God. Now there's, there's profit to this. I'm getting to the profit. I just want to remind you that the Bible's full of stories like this. The Lord God of heaven has his dominion over inanimate matter and over the laws of nature. He can stop the sun so that there's no night in the days of Joshua or he can reverse it. Ten degrees in the days of Hezekiah. Remember, Elisha asked Hezekiah, what do you want? Look at that sundial right there that Ahaz made. Do you want the shadow to go forward or backward? Hezekiah said, well, it's no big deal. If it goes forward, let's try it backward. And there the shadow went backward. Praise the Lord. That's the God you worship. Amen. He moved the shadow backward to prove to Hezekiah he was going to have 15 more years added to his life. God can stop fire from burning. The three Hebrew children that were cast into Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. Or he can send fire down from heaven and burn up the city of Sodom. He can do whatever he wishes with fire or anything else. He can feed 5,000 men and others, their, their wives and their children, to the full with lots left over from a little lunch, defying the laws of physics. God doesn't operate by the laws of physics. He gave us laws of physics so that we could figure a few things out, so that we could have a few blessings in life called witty inventions. But he operates above and beyond them whenever he chooses to. I hope you think about that with that little tiny lunch. God's all, God is able to bless little efforts on your part with great results as well. Amen. Therefore, we should be content, thankful, and understanding of weather in the world. We should be thankful. You know when you go out and you stick a shovel into the ground around here? If you come from a part of the country where there's real dirt, and you see that red clay, you say, God made it this way, and He's put me here as part of this church, I'll just keep washing the children's pants the best I can. That red clay. God made it. It pleased God to put in this part of this country red clay instead of black dirt. We should be content and thankful. When it rains, when it's cold, when it's hot, when it's too hot. When Big Brown gets real hot, God made it real hot. And we'll trust Him. We'll do the best we can. We'll take extra water. But you know, we know where it came from. God chose to make it extra hot. If you were planning to have an outdoor wedding and it rained that day, God chose that rain. We don't fight against it. We don't bark against it. We say, well, God must have wanted to see how we could react today. And so we react the best way that we can and we do it cheerfully. Brethren, if God declared seasons shall remain, and He did, Seasons shall remain. Global warming is a hoax. There shall be cold and hot, the Lord said. Therefore, any inconvenience of weather, any inconvenience of weeds, though you do try to get rid of them, is sent from the Lord. It's a reminder that He put weeds in this world because we asked for them when we sinned against Him. Therefore, Danger, trouble, pain, and death of storms or diseases should not move us because God sends the storms and the diseases that take lives. We trust Him. We wait upon Him. They may take us. They will take us eventually. 
But he's already defeated death for us. So why worry? He's in total charge, in total control. God's dominion includes irrational creatures. We're now moving to animate life, animal life, birds, beasts, the field. But they're irrational. They don't think, they don't reason. They don't have souls. As a man has a soul and a spirit. Every animal and bird across the spectrum, God made it and just the way that it is. And they're beautiful to behold. What variety we have. Who can't love the beauty of an eagle? But who can't love the beauty and mechanical properties of a hummingbird? What wonderful little creatures. God made them. Whatsoever we see in the heavens or on the earth or in the seas, it pleased the Lord to give us those things. He opened an ass's mouth to speak, and he closed a lion's mouth from a good meal. He's the God of heaven, and he rules over irrational creatures. He can direct a whale to swallow a man, and three days later to vomit him out in the right place on shore. He commanded ravens to be a delivery food service for Elijah by the brook Cherith, because He has dominion over irrational creatures. Two cows that had never been yoked before and had calves at home in Philistia attached to a cart bearing the Ark of the Covenant went in one direction and that was straight to the coast of Israel. Lowing as they went. Because they were carrying precious cargo. The Ark of the Covenant and a beautiful gift from Philistia To Israel. I hope you all know what the gift was. A venomous viper came out of the fire on the island of Melita. Paul shook it off. It did him no harm. Not even a worthless sparrow can fall to the ground without God's oversight of it. If flies ever bother you, if at night one of those little creatures gets into your room and is buzzing around, just remember, call to mind... That God created that little creature and He directed that one specifically into your room to remind you that there was a night in Egypt when Pharaoh could not get rid of them anywhere in his realm. Swarms of flies overran the nation of Egypt. I know what you usually think when there's a fly in your room at night and you're trying to go to sleep and it's buzzing around. But just bless God that there's such a... I I didn't say don't get up and kill it, but... You can understand. We should get up and kill it so you can go to sleep. But at the same time, God sent it in there just to teach you a little lesson to remind you that there was once upon a time where he sent millions of them in to Egypt. Irrational creatures. Therefore, we enjoy the zoo. You know, why hasn't the baboon pulled his hairy pants all the way up? Why? You know, I bring it up all the time because it's one of my favorite places to go. After I get past the big cats, the elephant, and a few of those big sh- I want to see the baboons and just stare at them and say, Lord, you have one marvelous sense of humor. Because he does. They left their pants down. It's obvious. God made them that way. And we rejoice. Look at the dominion. What shame he brought on that creature. They don't know it, but we all know it. Everything at the zoo, an aquarium, beautiful, different, unique, wild, crazy. 
you know, two little fingers on the end of an elephant's nose or one finger. I can't, I haven't counted recently, but, you know, those fingers on the end of its nose that pick up things and blast water, gives itself its own shower. By the way, a camel, I wrote recently in a proverb commentary, I believe that's where it was, that a camel, if it's thirsty, can drink 40 gallons in 10 minutes. I've always told you that Rebecca did quite a chore to impress the servant. She wasn't trying to impress. She was just a gracious woman. But it says she ran back to the well to get more water. How many camels were there? Ten. Let's cut the 40 in half. Ten times 20 is 200 gallons. If she was using a five-gallon pail, how many trips did she make? What a gracious woman, huh? She was sweating by the time she took him home for supper. But you know, what a, what a wonderful woman. God made all these creatures different. Therefore, wisdom can be learned by studying those creatures. Did God take some of the smallest creatures and make them lessons of wisdom for us? Is the ant a lesson for us? Right. Does the ant know how to save? Does the ant know how to work? Did Solomon say, go to the ant, thou sluggard? The best thing for a lazy person to do is to go out and fall down in the yard and put their face 12 inches away from an anthill and see how many of them are laying on their side trying to get comfortable in bed. See how many of them are laid back wondering what they're going to do today because they're all working. And the Lord said, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. There's four little creatures on earth and they be exceeding wise. We have in Proverbs chapter 30. Because God is Lord over irrational creatures. If a dog or a snake bites a child, we know what to do with the dog or the snake. But we, we humble ourselves before God because it wouldn't have happened if God hadn't purposed that event to happen. Amen. You say, but it was my foolishness that allowed it to happen. It was God that allowed you to be foolish to allow it to happen. Right. And we trust the God of heaven. We, we take every precaution that we can to keep that from happening. And when it does happen, we do other things, but we still submit ourselves to God. If a hunter goes out and gets a deer, it's because God sent that deer at the right time and gave him the right means to get it. And, and God should get the glory. Amen. Is God sovereign over chance events? Amen. Is there a chance event in the Bible that you can think of it at, at, when I say that? We had it read to us last Lord's Day. When, when Ahab said, I'm not going to die today. This prophet's wrong. I will return. Now I'm going to disguise myself and go into battle as a regular soldier so that they're not trying to kill me. And out there in the middle of the army, disguised as a regular soldier, except with a king's armor on, a a Syrian drew an arrow and shot it at a venture. Just flung it into space. And it found its way right into his armor, and he fell down in his chariot and bled to death. Just as God had promised. He's in charge of chance events. Look at Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. When a fool plays Russian roulette and blows his brains out, who's in charge of that event? The God of heaven. If the Lord lets him survive it five times so that he gets others to play the game with them so they can all go down, who's in charge of that? The Lord. Lord. You all know what I mean by Russian roulette? Chamber one round in a six-gun and spin the cylinder and put it to your head and pull the trigger. 
That's an intelligent game. It usually takes a quart of vodka to help you play it. God's in charge of all those events. Look at this verse. Proverbs 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap. They did not have dice. They had a lot. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. The whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Men can try to make an event as random as possible. Casting a lot. But the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. I love it when pagans did it on a ship in the middle of the Mediterranean where Jonah was sleeping. Some pagans said, look at this storm. This is supernatural. This is, un- this is unusual to- for it to come up this fast, this ferociously. Let's cast lots and find out who's guilty on this ship. Even pagans. And the Lord answered their lot. And they knew it was Jonah. And Jonah knew he was in the wrong, so he said, throw me over. And it'll be calm as soon as I hit the water. What a prophet. Why did he repent? It's, I'm causing the storm. Let me, give me five minutes to repent. The storm will calm down. You can take me in the other direction. Back to Nineveh. But no, he said, throw me over. He really did not want to preach on that trip. But the Lord taught him. They cast lots and they knew it was Jonah. Look at Exodus chapter 21. Do you think there's such a thing as an accidental death? Exodus chapter 21. We drive the best we can within reason. We can't drive perfectly. We do the best we can. If there's an accident, God caused that accident. Our foolishness may have been involved in it. We may have been driving very wisely and carefully. Someone could die in an accident like that. If you're responsible, you should suffer the full extent of the law. If you're not responsible, it's in the Lord's hands. Look at Exodus chapter 21 and verse 13. If a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. This is accidental death. Because... Murder is in verse 12. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. Verse 13, but if a man had no intention of killing the other man, but look what it says, but God deliver him into his hand. When there's an accident, God has delivered it. There's nothing in the Bible outside of God delivering it to happen. Nothing. And we totally rest in that. And we trust the Lord for that. Amen. Therefore, Therefore, because God is the Lord and in dominion over chance events, we know that a wounded person beside our path is from the Lord. If someone in need is put right in front of you in your ordinary course of business, you know that person is from the Lord. In Luke chapter 10, the Samaritan was on business and he happens upon that wounded Jew in his path. The Levite and the priest had passed on by. They went around him. But the good Samaritan knew the providence of God. And so, therefore, from the fact that God is in charge of chance events, I give you a lesson. Therefore, when God puts someone right in front of you that has a need, stop and help them. We do not have to go on television and see some tele-evangelist with a camera on the other side of the earth trying to bring them to us. God never did that. The Lord Jesus Christ never did that. Israel never did it. The prophets never did it. The apostles never did it. 
There was no compassion shown toward any of those people on the other side of the earth in any of those groups. It was not taught to Israel in the Old Testament. It was not taught to the church in the New Testament. What is taught to the church, we take care of family first. And if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. Then we take care of the poor in our church. Then we take care of the poor in other churches. And then we take care of whoever God puts in our path in our ordinary course of business. And that's what the Good Samaritan was. See, we trust chance events. When something comes our way that we can do and it's right in front of us, we should step up and do it because we should. this is not fate. This is not a coincidence. This is providence. The Lord's waiting to see what I'm going to do. Therefore, we recognize fires, disasters, hurricanes, the World Trade Center, or the Columbia as God's judgment, God's choice, and God delivered that to happen. We are not surprised by it, nor alarmed by it, nor are we wringing our hands saying, I don't know why God allowed this to happen. Like the nation's pastor said in the nation's cathedral six years ago. Therefore, we recognize that time and chance are from the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11 says, The race is not to the swift, nor are riches to men of understanding, but time and chance happeneth to them all, and we humble ourselves before that. We don't resent it. We don't get bitter as to why time and chance hasn't happened to us as much as it's happened to someone else, because God made the choice because He's Lord of time and chance. So we're content. We submit. We're humbled. We could be working harder than a person that time and chance happens to. But God made the choice that time and chance would happen to the man that's only working 80% of what you're doing. He's able to do that. He does do that. And praise His name for doing that. It'll keep you humble not thinking that your 100% effort is what should bring you reward. Because the race is not to the swift. Therefore, we understand that both adversity and prosperity direct us to God. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 14, in the day of adversity, consider. And in the day of prosperity, consider. God hath set the one over against the other to the end that man might not find out anything after him. There is nothing outside the government of God, and He brings the vicissitudes of life. He brings, he brings economic and business cycles into individual lives and into nations so that we will humble ourselves before God. In the day of prosperity, we should thank God for being merciful. In the day of adversity, we should examine ourselves and humble ourselves before God and beg Him for mercy. In both cases, God is in charge of it. And He will bring both into our lives. But we're not supposed to see anything but God in both of them. He has set the one over against the other that we will not see anything but the Lord God who has total dominion over all those things. Brethren, this doctrine will give you contentment. It will give you thankfulness. It will give you peace in your soul. It will give you a cause to rejoice. It will give you the courage to go and do whatever you can and trust the Lord for the results. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word and we'll resume in a little while.